0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, we have reached a, a very crucial point in our journey as we trace the history of Rome from the founding of the City so we're Extremely excited to have you along for the ride today. We are up to... What is known as the Second Decemberate,
1: mm. and this is probably going to take us a few episodes. We'll oh, flag yeah. that up front. <laughs> Absolutely, this is going to be this is going to be slow, slow going. This is going to be
0: complicated, and it's going to cover a number of years. Yeah. of Roman history. Absolutely. So before we get into the new events of this time period, Doctor G. Let's see where we were last episode. Ah, oh, last episode. Well, as
1: a quick recap, what we had was what has become known as the 1st Decemberate. So mm. this means that Rome suspends all of its normal magistracies, and they get together a group of 10 men. Mm. And their job is to put together the laws, yes. essentially. yeah. And we don't know what that's going to look like necessarily at the outset, neither do the Romans, but they have gotten to a point after a lot of toing and froing and a lot of frustration mm-hmm. from many sides
0: that they need to write these things down yep. so that they can be placed in the public space. Yeah, and that codification process went very smoothly. A little too smoothly. So
1: smoothly. Yeah. We got
0: to the end of that first year of the Decemberate and they produced 10 tables. Yeah, absolutely. And the people seem happy, even though when we look at the 10 tables, it's really... Not seemingly what they were after, but nonetheless, it's a codified set of laws. And the leading character in driving this first December, uh, and also leading into the second Decem- December, it turned out to be a man by the name of Appius Claudius.
1: Yes. So the Claudii are a very significant, old, important patrician Roman family, and we're going to see that come into great effect in
0: (laughs) what comes but but in the first december in last episode he was being very affable a little too affable for some patricians liking chumming it up with the plebeians and that kind of thing so we're going to see how that all plays out so that's probably gives you a quick recap obviously you can go back and listen to our previous episode if you want a bit more detail but for now let's get into the second december the second december yeah so who? <laughs> what we a time got? to be alive yeah who have we got in the second december because it's not it's not the same it's not just like a re- straight re-election process where the g- guys that were in charge of the 10 tables and the first december just automatically get rolled over yeah this is like a sequel where some of your favorite actors don't reappear yeah <laughs> <laughs> but they've been seamlessly
1: replaced by other people yeah you're like all right So no surprise, perhaps, that Appius Claudius uh, is the key and central carryover figure between the 1st Decemberate and the 2nd. He has been very charismatic and everybody has found him to be very approachable, affable. Mm. He listens. He's a man about town. So I've I've referred to him before as the man that uh, women want to be with and that men want to be. And he's definitely like front and centre and pivotal to this second December. Yeah,
0: and he totally knew that was coming. I mean, we, we saw the last episode how he was campaigning massively to get himself back in his position, because it turns out he liked being a December. <laughs> he enjoyed it a lot. And also, he now wants his friends to enjoy it too. Yes, this is the thing. He has got quite a few of his cronies, it seems, elected alongside him. So tell me, Dr. G... Who have you got so many buddies. Yeah. Uh, we've got Quintus Fabius Vibulanus. Now there's a name I know and love.
1: <laughs> he has been consul three times in yeah. the past. A man adorned with every virtue yeah And then we have some others chosen among those favored by Appius. Marcus Cornelius mm. Magluginensis. Oh, I hate that name. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for it. More Roman mouthfuls to come. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Sergius
0: Esquilinus. Mm. Lucius Minucius Esquilinus Augurinus. Ooh, I, I, I know. I recognise that Minucius part. Yes, yeah. I, I
1: think Dionysius and Livy disagree on some of the names. Yeah, yeah. They, they do seem to get a lot of question marks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just you wait; those yeah. question marks will increase yeah. as the episode continues. Titus Antonius Miranda, mm.
0: Manius Rabilianus, Re- yeah, Rabilius, Rebu- Rabilius, yeah. That actually kind of sounds a bit like my name—a Roman version of my name, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should
1: try to call you that from now on, but it's going to take me a lot time to- yeah, <laughs> a lot longer to say a okay. name. Dr. Rad <laughs> rolls off the tongue a little bit more easily. <laughs> And Dionysius uh, of Halicarnassus also gives us another three names who he positions as plebeian decemvirs. Now, this might be something that Livy disagrees about.
0: No, I think I think there I think there is a bit of a blend happening here, and certainly these names that we get for some of these decimvirs in the in the second time, they definitely seem plebeian. They don't they they don't ring bells like mm. a lot of the other names that we're used to seeing.
1: So we get Quintus Potelius, mm. Lysolus, Yeah. That's an unfamiliar name. Possibly a plebeian. <laughs> yeah. Duilius Longus? Mm. Question mark. Yeah. And Spurius Oppius Cornicien.
0: Yeah, which is really
1: weird. That's yeah. out there even for Romans. Yeah. Um, it doesn't end with an us. Everybody's confused.
0: Yeah, so this is pretty crazy to potentially have a mixture of patricians and plebeians in this extremely powerful position as decimbers for this year. And it does seem to say something about the conflict of the orders, but what?
1: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We just don't know. Um, So... We've got a whole bunch of men, essentially. Yep. Welcome to Roman patriarchy, as yeah. per standard operations. Yeah. Um, what is not standard is what happens next.
0: Yeah, so we've mentioned a number of times now how how just delightful Appius Claudius was when he was <laughs> December the first time around. Even leading up to that first December, he was just charming, charming, which is very unusual for someone from the Claudii family. Um, and especially because... We're not even entirely sure which Appius Claudius we're dealing with exactly. It seems potentially out of character. A nice one. Oh, that's unusual. No. <laughs> so Livy kicks off the second December it by getting Appius to take off the mask. <laughs> <laughs> so all of a sudden he drops the pretense. He has been scheming for tyranny. From the beginning. That's so typical. So yeah. Claudian.
1: So this means that we're we've shifted from four fifty one BCE into four fifty BCE. So the December it this now this second December it again is only supposed to last for a year. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um I've written in my notes, hello, it's tyranny time.
0: Absolutely, yeah, (laughs) 4.50, we're kicking it off with a banging. What
1: does Livy have to tell us about this year?
0: Well, so essentially you know that Appius is going for tyranny because he starts to do things like meeting with some of his cronies in secret. How dare they? That's not how governance should work. Every day. What could they possibly have to talk about? Tyranny. That's why. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, basically, they start plotting, maybe even a little bit before you know they're truly in the second December. But he he starts working on some of these cronies very early and talking them around to his way of thinking, which is you know, hmm, let's take over the world. The world is not enough. Yes. So. They now start behaving like very arrogant, haughty, typical patricians, and they're and they're very they're very moody. Apparently, they're like they're like moody teenagers until they until they get their way and, and you know get get into their offices and that sort of thing. Um, it, is this very similar to what Dionysius talks about? Yeah. So
1: Dionysius talks about um, the way in which they get together. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll flag that it's a bit weird that if we've got plebeians in this group of decemvirs that they've just gone hardcore into tyranny mode along with the patricians. But having said that, we don't really know what distinguishes the plebeians really from the patricians in some respects, or if indeed this division is legitimate. So we'll, we'll just we leave, about, that, yeah. in terms leave of, that for in now. In terms of wealth and stuff, we've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. they might be rich. Yeah. Um, part of the problem seems to be that they get together very early on, yes, in secret, and they agreed that they're going to hold this majesty for life. Mm. Um, <laughs> up front. Beginning of the second year. Guys, this yeah. is great and I never want to give it up. Even Caesar had the decency to go like five years, ten years.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Sneaky, sneaky, slowly, yeah. slowly. Um, but no, they're like, let's no other person is going to have government. We're going to be in charge and we're going to share equal honours and possess the same power. And it's just going to be absolute between us. And this means that Everybody's got the authority to do everything. Yeah, and nobody's more powerful than the other. It's just
0: us ten, and that's really symbolized in Livy's account by the fact that um, you talked about last time about how the Decemvirs had rotated the fasces between them, and they they just kept the same amount that would have normally been allotted to a consul and just shared it around, and the the two guys. The two guys that had it great, that you know, they had the rods, the axes, fantastic, and the rest were just like as normal in the way that they presented themselves. Not anymore. Everybody's got their own fasces now. <laughs> Times have changed. Yeah. Even worse. Uh, I don't know about what
1: Livy says about this, but. Dionysius tells us that not only does each decemvir have twelve lictors, but they've also put the axes into the rods. Yes, he does. And they're they're wandering around in the city now. This is very bad news. Everybody in Rome is, frankly, terrified by
0: this turn of events. Absolutely. I hope those lictors are being paid well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, because the axes obviously symbolise. The, the really, the really nasty, threatening power that these guys have over everyone. Not, I mean, not just the plebs either. This is a threat to everyone. It's a real problem
1: for the city because the idea is that you don't attach the axe to the bundle of rods, which is the fast gaze, yeah. unless you're outside the city and unless there's a legitimate war to be waged.
0: Yeah. So absolutely. all of
1: a sudden we've crossed a whole bunch of thresholds and this is like their like, from the outset, second year of the
0: December, yeah. new year, new look. Everyone's <laughs> like, stop that. <laughs> it's, it's quite severe. I'm not going to lie. I've changed my style slightly. and They're like, you're going to kill me. Yeah, and everyone seems to be terrified in Livy's account, including the Senate. Everybody quite clearly gets the message, oh... Liberties under threat. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, I, I sense an issue here. Yeah. You guys weren't kidding about that whole right of appeal being taken away. <laughs> Not at all. No, uh, we let it
1: we let it slide for the first year, yeah. uh, but now it's the big
0: guns. Yeah, and this, this is such a change, such a switch. From the 1st December it, where it was all sunshine, lollipops, and rebels everywhere. <laughs> got a problem? Come to me, your yeah. friendly Desimvir. Absolutely. No. Uh,
1: now we've got fear uh, factor is running high. People are interpreting this situation to a, a, a an aggregation of imperial kingly power mm. to the Desimvirs. And the Desimvirs start to build Factions mm. within the population. Yeah. Uh, which is bound to happen because people are scared. And if you have 12 Lictors stand over you with the axes in their rods and they're like, You're joining us or what? Yeah. You'll be like, Uh, mm, sure. Yes. Yeah. I love this. You have my vote, sir. <laughs> this system is great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you've peed your pants. Um, so people are pretty concerned. And it also seems more fearful, really, is the factions are growing from the patriciate base. Right. So plebeians, average people on the street, people who aren't already in a powerful family, are watching factions being built
0: between powerful families under the leadership of Decimvs. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Because in Livy's account, and I'm just going to flag this. I might be getting a little bit ahead of you, so stop me if I am. Um, he mentions that at first everyone's equally terrified but gradually the plebs start to be the ones that are targeted more by the decimbers. Um and they they kind of leave the patricians alone but the plebs uh, get like the full brunt of their cruelty and they are you know dealt with unfairly they make these really like snap decisions and if the plebs try and point out that hey um, excuse me, Mr. Desenverser, It seems kind of a bit unfair. Unfair, you say, it just makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You might get yourself killed. Yeah. Don't exactly. ask questions. Yeah. And and they and they're also continuing to have this secrecy in that the judgments that they're passing, they're doing them in like they're doing them in private and then they announce announced later in, in the forum. Ah,
1: yes. So Dionysius does also talk about the corruption of the law courts. Yes. And the way he describes it is that they start to appoint courts for matters of whatever kind they want, Yeah, essentially. And then they choose people who are part of their factions um, to bring forward specious claims. And so there's a whole bunch of sort of... uh, nonsensical litigation that is now being promulgated by the decimavirs. Right. So they've set up this court, they've populated it with their own people, those people are then bringing false accusations then those accusations are being proven to be true in the eyes of the court, thus allowing a whole bunch of prescriptions to
0: take place. Right. They're getting rid of people they don't like. Left, right, and centre, people are dying. Wow. Yeah, that that seems a little bit more extreme. Livy's not exactly explicit about, you know, what what does this cruelty involve, Livy? <laughs> oh no. Uh, we we get discussion of about prescriptions
1: beginning, and immediately um, citizens are being put to death. People are being stripped of their rights um, and their estates and properties. Wow. And. The ultimate consequence of this, it's, it's kind of interesting because Dionysius sort of like has these two sides where he's kind of like, so they did come up with two new tables. <laughs> yeah. um, so we now have 12 tables. Mm. Um, now the trouble with these 12 tables is that it seems like one of the key features of these extra laws is that marriage is now forbidden between
0: patricians and plebeians. That's the detail that he focuses on. Which is really, which is interesting, because I was quite gobsmacked when I got to this point of Livy's account, because he doesn't talk about the content of the two ta- of the extra two tables. He just mentions that there were these two tables added, and everybody had agreed after the first December that it's great, it's lovely, I'm loving it, but. Just seems a little extra something. I can't quite put my finger on Something's it. Something's missing, yeah. you know? It's not really... Oh, I'm not vibing it. Yeah, like, I, like, like it, it's good, but is it great? You know, everyone had agreed that something else was needed. And for Livi to just breeze past the most controversial of the tables in this way, he's obviously just way more distracted by what else is happening. In t- and he, he just basically notes that, look... They add these extra two tables, and really, once that's happened, and you know we got the twelve tables, there's no need for these guys, and yet they hang around. Well, I think yeah. in Livy's defence, yeah, and I don't usually come to Livy's defence, but I
1: will in this instance. I know. I know. Perhaps uh, the reason that this has happened is because, from a Roman perspective, and when Livy is writing as well, everybody's very familiar with the content. Of the 12 tables. True. It's that thing that they learn to recite in school.
0: That's true. Um,
1: so in a way, it's kind of like the obvious detail that maybe doesn't need to be mentioned because it's so obvious. And yes, he's writing history, but he's expecting that you will at least know what's in the 12 tables. Come yeah. on, guys. I, Do suppose I have to so spell that out
0: for you? I think it's just because, as we talked about, obviously the 12 tables allegedly came about according to both Livy and Dyn- uh, Dionysius, in part because of a phase of the conflict of the orders. Even though it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in some ways, the way that they've presented it, and when you look at the 12 tables, it just doesn't seem to match up. It, it's the fact that this seems to be a big thing. And the fact that you also have, for the freaking first time, plebeian magistrates, if they are in fact decimbers, why would they want to pass this... This extra table which bands intermarriage. It seems weird. It's- I think, yeah, I think this could be explained in a number of ways. Yeah. One,
1: the names are wrong. Yeah. Uh, two, the... we Our understanding of Patrician and Plebeian and also Livian Dionysius's understanding, they're writing a good three centuries after these events. Yeah. Um, they don't understand what these things mean no. in this context. No. And potentially that... If these are plebeians, that's part of the way that they've been dragged into this is with the sweetener of the deal that, well, if you hold a magistracy like this, your family will be elevated to being a patrician. So actually, this is your exit from being a plebeian. All you've got to do is go along with everything that we do this year.
0: Yeah, I think it's just so confusing because, as we've mentioned before, in spite of the fact that we get this very you know, pro-Patrician narrative in both Dionysius and Livy once the Republic kicks off, and in spite of the fact that we've got this huge focus of the conflict of the orders and we've got seemingly Patricians always holding the consulship and and, and, and monopolising um, systems, when we look at the names, as we've mentioned, particularly in the first half of this century, we do see some names where we're like, wait a second, that family is plebeian later on. And, and it, Yeah, and even some of the names of the hills seem to reflect plebeian names, um, the hills of Rome. And so it seems almost as though, and this is where some scholars come up with this idea that, you know, there is something going on here, where it's almost as like maybe plebeians were a bit more powerful or at least held a bit more sway in some way in this society. Maybe there was intermarriage going on in the first half of the century. And it's actually the second half of the century that we see things get really difficult for them. Um, and maybe maybe this is part of, you know, the beginning of that story. Like, who knows? It's so hard to figure out. It's a great tale, though, and it's only really about to get greater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in my account, I guess, I guess what I mean is uh, Livy is really focusing on this division because with all this harsh behavior going on, the plebeians start to look to the rest of the patricians to free them. Oh, yes. really? Yeah, oh. yeah, and so they're basically going. Um, <clears throat> have you noticed the um, the jury <clears throat> uh, over there? Look, look, it's happening. Um, and so they're they're looking to the patricians to do something, and the patricians are the patrician strategy, they're in such an awkward situation because now they're in a situation where they hate the plebeians, but they also hate the decimbers. I mean... Yeah, talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Do you ever want to be in this highly privileged position? And so the patricians absolutely do not approve of what the decimbers are getting up to, but they're also looking very smugly in the plebeians' direction and being like, you see... You see what happens when you stir up the kind of crap that you guys have been stirring yeah. up. You know, this is what happens when you do nothing but complain and whinge and bitch. <laughs> and they're actually hoping that this whole experience will be a learning experience for the plebeians. <laughs> Yeah, They're hoping that the Plobeians will, will, will come out of this. You know, I mean, how, obviously, it's the big question. They're hoping that this whole episode will mean that plebeians are practically begging them to have consoles again. Please put me back in my box.
1: Yeah. That's where I want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. This is what the patricians would call
0: a teachable moment. Absolutely. (laughs) They are, they are completely like loving it lapping it up in some ways, even though they're like Jess and Viz and douchebags, but
1: (laughs) I think it is also fascinating that the patricians, at least according to Dionysius's account, this is when they up sticks and they're like, you know what? It's time to get to my country estate. I need to leave this town because things are getting a little bit hot and I don't want to be around to see what unfolds.
0: No, it's funny you say that because that actually happens later in my account. For once, you're ahead of me. Yeah, that's happening because what happens in my account is that after the additional tables have been added, the the plebeians are obviously stressing about, okay, so don't need you guys anymore now that the table is completed. How are we ever going to get the tribunition power back? You know, and what's going to happen next? Because, you know, the desenvers are obviously just saying nothing because their plan is to just hold on to power for, you know, as long as possible. And at first, the the Desinvers, or at least some of the Desinvers, like Appius, had been, you know, buddying up to the Tribunes and being quite nice. Now that's not really happening. Now instead, they're turning to one of our favorite groups, Dr. G. Hold on to your headscarf because guess what? you're in a convertible Ferrari, it's the young patricians. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, I feel just like a lonely guy when I'm with the boys. We do what we want. Yeah, we do what we want. Yeah, because basically the decimals are hanging out with the young patricians. Ah,
1: uh, yes. Yeah. I, I can see that there are going to be parallels in our account, but mine comes in a lot later. So we've got some... The way the events unfold is, is starting to diverge
0: in yeah. the Roman Dionysius here. Well, yeah, because it's really, it's really when the young patricians come in that Livy starts being a bit more specific about exactly how bad things are getting for the plebeians. Because it's obviously getting way worse. They're completely bullying the plebeians. They're beating them up. They're killing them using the fasces. They're taking their property. It's being, you know, handed to the people that like kill them. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It sounds like chaos. Yeah. And
1: one of the things that Dionysius flags is that part of the reasons why the patricians leave um, mm. when they do, which is around the time that the Twelve Tables, like these two extra tables that now make the Ten Tables the Twelve Tables, comes yes. out. They leave because they're kind of wanting uh, to just like bunker down while the elections take place. Right. You know, the December, it should come to a natural close because the agreement is it's only for one year. Obviously, the violence is accelerating. They're like, well, we'll just see out until like we get some proper magistrates in here. We'll come back next year. Mm. These must be people who do not have the year. Of any of the Desembiers, absolutely, um, yeah. and obviously nobody knows their secret plan except the other Desembiers and, fears, and <laughs> historians writing long after the fact. Um, but the Desembiers, obviously, the the dates come and go, elections aren't organised, yeah, and they're just hanging around with a lot of axes in the street. That's the point where everything starts to take a really dark turn, as if the violence that we've seen already wasn't enough.
0: Well, see, I've got another layer to add for you, Dr. G. Ooh. Yeah, you just wait. Okay, so chaos, death in the streets. Okay, yes. pretty bad. Now, of course, only one thing could make this even worse. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Internal conflict can only be made worse by the addition of external conflict. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. So Rome's neighbours are not happy with the way the decenvers are conducting themselves either. However... They do recognize an opportunity when they see one. They, are, they can see that the Romans are in crisis because, you know, having people that try and hold on to power like this is not a good thing. It's not a good sign, okay? So, the Sabines decide that they're going to invade Roman territory and just wreak havoc, you know, cause lots of destruction and just hope that the Romans are like, We're dealing with our own issues right now. So there's a lot of fear. You've got rural people that obviously live around the city coming into Rome for protection. And the decivers are like, well, we know we need to do something about this. But I don't know exactly what, because everybody hates us. (laughs) The patricians hate us and the plebeians hate us. And then on top of that, the acrians decide that this is the time that they're going to attack Tusculum. And this is when the descendants say, okay, right, things are getting well out of hand. (laughs) Guys, guys, we need to do something. (laughs) We may be 10 awesome men, but we are still just 10 men i don't think we can take on the entire roman state the Acrians and the sabines so they decide that this is when they want to call on the senate and they haven't called on them in a, in like a while because they've been obviously having, at least
1: a year yeah they've been calling like, having
0: their own little secret meetings and that sort of thing and they don't want to lose their power because of obviously you know some sort of external problems and that sort of thing and that's when so the Decemvirs have called the meeting They've put up the balloons, they've put out the streamers, they put out the cake. And there's an invitation in everybody's letterbox. Yeah, and then it's just crickets. <laughs> the us are sitting around going, well, this is awkward. Um, I, I thought that when we called the Senate, the, the wise body would show up. Yeah, the senators basically don't show up at all. And the plebeians are like, Wow. This is amazing. The senators are refusing to answer the call because these guys are just private citizens and they have no real power. They're getting really excited because they're like, it's gonna be great guys. They're gonna call on us to go and fight and we're gonna say, hell no. And the Senate for once will be on our side. Now, unfortunately for the poor little beans, I'm gonna have to break their hearts right now. It's got nothing to do with that. The senators just (laughs) missed the invitation because they were out on their farms dealing with their own business. And the decimals figure this out when they go around to people's house and are like, hello, Did, why didn't you come to my party? We, we missed you. What party? <laughs> yeah. And so then the senators start to turn up and the plebeians are like, great, great. So nobody cares about liberty except us. Well, look, I mean, there are some parallels here. Okay.
1: Um, I'm not going to lie. It's just that Dionysus of Halicarnassus ends... So he's ended book 10 with being like, you know what? The Desenviers have just decided to continue on. Yeah. And then he opens book 11 being like, it's three years later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's three years later. It's 477 BC. And Wait, 477? Four, yeah. For, no, no, 447. 447. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. 447 BC. And I'm like, As a reader, I was like, excuse me, you just missed, like, all of the crucial elements. But it's kind of just like a rhetorical setup, because he's like, look, here's what you need to know. We're going to have to dig back in time and go through all of the details (laughs) to really appreciate what has happened since we last met.
0: I like the picture (laughs) of him sitting, like, amidst, you know, rubble. And being like, how did we get here, guys? How did we get here, guys? Last
1: time you saw me, it was the end of book 10. Now it's the start of book 11 and we're missing some time. (laughs) Well, there's a story to be told and I'm here to tell it. And he does have this sort of like opening to book 11 where he talks about, you know, what do people really want from history? They don't just want, they don't want facts and they don't want dates. You know, that's that's not how things work. People want stories. They want to understand how this person got from this spot here to that spot over there. They don't want to know that he was in that spot and then he
0: ended up in that spot and nothing in between. People need the journey. Look, I agree with him to a certain extent, but I'm also going to say some dates would also be nice. <laughs> <laughs> look, he gives
1: the dates as best he can. Yeah. But he's basically like, look, you want the details. People appreciate details. And me humble historian that i am i'm about to give them all to you as a gift and everyone's like okay cool he's aiming for detail so the december it begins their second term much like they um they're like their second year of their second term much like they began the first year of their second term confusingly um in the sense more more violence um there's the youth are now here Ah, the youth. <laughs> I'm in my car yeah. yeah those guys the young Patricia they're there um, I'm calling them the Decemberate thugs um, <laughs> they do some plunder and pillage um, they're like stripping legal owners of their effects it's great violating wives not cool um, yeah abusing uh, daughters of marriageable age bad oh my god yeah, yeah. Rome has descended into like effective violent Internal warfare at this point as a result
0: of the young patricians' involvement. This is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to go here because I know that this is probably like a cliche and I'm just going off the top of my head. Sounds like the Nazis or something. It's It's bad. Yeah, it's like thugs of state sanctioned. State sanctioned thugs. Yeah. Yeah. Against their own
1: people. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. So once, and part of it has accelerated because some of the patricians have left already. So some families have gotten out. Yeah. Um, so there's less people there to sort of counteract it and be like, excuse me, that's terrible, you can't behave like that, somebody yes. needs to stop you. Yeah. But the result
0: of that kind of violence unfolding in the city means that even more people leave. Well, I think this, I mean, this is one of the interesting things about a sort of class warfare state, which is what we seem to be in the midst of, is that obviously it's the people that have the means to leave, that have the option to leave, that have gorgeous country states or somewhere even,
1: to go to yeah, yeah
0: any kind of country home or you know home elsewhere you know they're the people that are going to be able to leave this all behind and protect their families everyone else is stuck because they've got nothing else to do like and this yeah. is where everything they've invested is in is like
1: yeah and this is the real issue is that some people can't leave and they face greater violence as mm-hmm. a result of it and and As you say, in Livy, this is the moment where Rome's enemies, external enemies, raise their heads above their brick walls (laughs) and be like, oh, oh, hello. A prime opportunity. Absolutely. I see chaos over there. Um, The Sabines get involved. They set up camp at a place called Eritum, which is east of Rome and at the junction of two major roads the aquian set up camp in algum which we've
0: been to before yep. uh historically and i think that um, that is i think from recollection that is like tusculan yeah that's in the yeah. that's in the southeast in that yep. tusculum area and tusculans being of course famous allies of rome famous yeah. they love the romans like yeah. buddy
1: oh no you're fighting don't don't fight <laughs> with yourself oh no <laughs> yeah no this is not good yeah, yeah not good at all and this puts the December in a situation that they haven't found themselves in before, which is they now have to deal with an external threat. Mm. And it's fascinating to me how Dionysius approaches this, because he talks about the conversations that they're having. Like, should we have a levy? How would we have a levy? Who would ratify the war? It's got to be a legal war. Uh, we, we might need the Senate for that. Um, So they haven't lost complete hold of the traditional elements that underpin Roman society, despite the fact that they seem to be tearing it apart from within. They seem to be quite concerned that it be a legal war, which means that they need to have some sort of sanction from the Senate. Yeah. And they would have to have the Fediales involved, none of whom seem to be around. And they decide that ultimately, as you say in Livy, that they need the Senate. And the Senate's going to be pivotal to be able to get... war off the ground they need that kind of sanction yeah so they're like that's the decision that they come to and they're like we can't answer these questions ourselves we need the senate involved nobody shows up (laughs) all of those beautiful invitations Um, such a waste it's such a waste i I bought the best paper um so they went up to everybody they could find in the forum they're like we're having this senate meeting you should come along Uh, (laughs) people didn't show up um they went to people's houses and they're like, you know, there's a Senate meeting coming. You know, like the Lictors would knock on the doors, um, you know, let them know that it's happening. Nobody would show up. Yeah. And eventually people did come, but it took summoning people from the country back in, which is a much longer process. You've got to send out messengers. Absolutely. Um, and eventually a Senate does assemble.
0: Well, you see, in my account, once the Senate finally turned out, even though the plebs are like, oh, great you're here, which means that I guess you're going along with this whole system. Fantastic. My life just got even worse. The Senate aren't turning up with smiles on their faces. They have not brought housewarming presents. They are not interested in what the Decemvirs have to offer. They're quite defiant, particularly one guy called Lucius Valerius Titus. Yeah, he's very defiant towards Appius Claudius. And in Livy's account, he demands that he be heard about what is going on in the Roman state. And the decimbers are trying desperately to prevent this from happening. Don't Uh, interrupt, I'm talking first. Yeah, and I kind of of smell a potential speech in Dionysius here, so I'm going to pause before I go any further. Well, I think this might be the cliffhanger to leave it on, actually. Because,
1: yeah, Dionysius does have a speech. In fact, he has many speeches. Right. And this whole senatorial scene, I think, Deserves that sort of space. So I'm going to leave it at that moment where we like. So Lucius Valerius Potitus, he is. He comes from a distinguished background. Mm -hmm. I'll set him up at least. His father was the Valerius who was part of the Capitol siege. Yes. uh, When Hedonius occupied it. Yep. Um, And so he comes from a distinguished
0: military line. Yeah. I was just going to say, I totally recognize that name. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so.
1: There's going to be um, some things to be said between the Senate and the
0: Decimvirs. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And in fact, just to put it on a little bit more of a cliffhanger, in my account, when the, when the Decimvirs try to stop him from speaking, he's like, fine, I'm going to go to the plebs. <gasps> <laughs> yeah there you go there you go that's I, the cliffhanger i just I, I, I feel like i also just have to flag just in terms of a bit of analysis about what's going on here because we've just really skated by those tables that were added this is the whole supposed purpose for this this whole organization it is such an interesting thing that this is how the romans choose to tell their story of the codification of their law code which as we flagged many times big moment for any civilization it's not that they haven't had laws before. Of course, we've talked about we've talked about laws happening ever since the kings came in. There, of course, have been laws before, but codifying them like this is is a big deal. Having like a legal code is is huge, and it's just they do
1: not have a champion.
0: No, no. <laughs> and, it, and and these aren't people to admire. These, not at all. These no. are horrible. Horrible people. And when you compare it to people like the kings, like Romulus and Servius, Tullius and those sorts of people, who and, you know, Numa, these were kings that had mythical connections. They may have even had connections to divinity. And yet you've got these characters of the Decemvirs just being absolutely like mafia-like thugs. It's so bizarre. It's, it's like we talked about way back at the beginning when we talked about how... The Romulus and Remus story happens, and you've got this fratricide at the heart of the foundation of Rome. It is stunning that the Romans choose to tell these stories about pivotal moments in their history.
1: Yeah, and violence is always front and center, it seems, in terms of pivotal moments in the Roman experience. Mm. And it's something that is compelling, but you do not want to be bound up in this is not the way that anybody, I think, wants to
0: do governance. No. Alright, Dr. G. So on that note, I think it is time for the partial pick.
1: Excellent. Ah uh, yes. This is the
0: moment where Rome gets to be rated against itself. Yeah, so we've got <laughs> we've got five categories. Ten golden sorry golden eagles. That would be better. Per category that Rome can potentially win. I have a horrible feeling it's not gonna be a high score. But let's see. Dr. Well, G, what's our first category? Our first category is military clout. who yeah, no. They are being attacked, and their yeah. allies are being attacked. That is true. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, so it's not military clout. We're seeing a lot of violence, but it's, 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 not, it's military. not military.
1: No, it's not military. That's a, that's a big zero. That's a zero. All right. Diplomacy. <sighs> Abjectly uh,
0: terrible. <laughs> uh,
1: can we give them a minus score? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you're taking a step backwards. Uh, I think that's a zero as well. Yeah. Expansion. No. Huh? They're, they're going to be lucky if they hold on to the territory they have. <laughs> More zeros. All right. Yeah uh wirtus nope nope no sign of that anywhere no nope. thanks decimviz and, and citizen score oh oh my god <laughs> i think this might be a new low rome I... what have you
0: done okay here we go here's the benchmark guys get ready for it the year of the second december it is the first year that rome has ever earned Zero out of 50 Golden Eagles as its score. Rome, Rome, Rome. I'm disappointed in you. You showed so much potential. I should have probably seen this coming, but actually, I hadn't thought about it until we talked about it. And now it's, it's so too late. clear. It's too late. All right. Well, what a cliffhanger to end on because, of course, the 2nd December isn't over. Not if they have anything to say about it.
1: No. Well, there's more of this to come. Potentially another. Historic low score on the horizon. We shall
0: see. We shall see. So it's lovely to have you with us as always, guys. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thank
1: you for joining us for another episode of The Partial Historians. It's Dr. G here, and on behalf of Dr. Rad and myself, we just want to send a special thanks to all our patrons. Old, young, those in between, of all genders and persuasions, thank you. Our patrons are a delightful bunch of good eggs, we have to say, and we really appreciate all of your support. You're also welcome if you're listening in and you're thinking about supporting us. You might join this excellent crew of folk and enjoy early release of our special episodes as well.